and we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 1. And as you turn in there, let me bring you up to speed on what we got into last week. We were talking about the man Nehemiah, an ordinary man that God uses to do an extraordinary thing. He is going to call him to rebuild the wall around the ancient city of Jerusalem, which is both practically and spiritually significant. It's practically significant because it is going to protect the city of Jerusalem from its warring neighbors, and it's spiritually significant because it is going to allow for temple worship, which is how God's people connected with God at this point in redemptive history when this was written. It's going to allow them to reconnect with him in that way. So it shows that they are taking their spirituality seriously. And so last week we were introduced to the man, we were introduced to the story, and today we're going to pick up right where we left off. Nehemiah has just asked about this group of people. He has found out that they are in disrepair, and today we're going to learn a great deal from his response. Let me pray and ask for the Spirit's help, and we'll get right to work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We ask that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, well, we'll pick up the story right here in verse 4. It says this, As soon as I heard these words, so this is the words uh, of the response that he got about the, the city being broken down. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now let's break this down. The fact that he has such a visceral response to 140-year-old news shows that there has to be the work of God on display. This would be sort of like someone coming up to you today and saying, Hey, I just heard that Abraham Lincoln has been shot and killed. Now, we know that that's sad. We're, we're affected by that to a degree, but it's more of a historical fact. But not so in Nehemiah's life. Clearly, God was at work in his heart. God was stirring him, probably at this point, in ways that he didn't even understand. And he was cut to the heart by this bad news about his people, and it affected him in a profound and an ongoing way. Look back at it. It says, I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And the, the verb that's used there uh, shows an ongoing set of behaviors. Fasting, of course, is depriving oneself of food, uh, in this case for spiritual reasons, so that he could be more devoted to prayer. It also could be a, a sign of mourning sometimes. And so he is deeply affected by this and continues to be deeply affected by this uh, for a number of days, it says. And I think taken together, uh, that leads us to our first of two points right here from verse 4. And that is that Nehemiah's heart was broken over the condition of his people and their city. And so when we look at that, we obviously affirm what God was doing in Nehemiah's life. But we also need to be challenged by this as well. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we aren't very broken over very many things. And certainly not over the condition of our city and the spiritual decay that we see around us. So I read this uh, and, and I find myself very convicted. I mean, I, I'm concerned uh, about the lostness that I see around us. I'm concerned about the spirituality uh, apathy that I see among people that 
that, that claim to go to church and claim to follow Jesus in this area, but not to the degree that Nehemiah was, and that's challenging to me. And so part of the way that I have been responding to this text in my own life this week as I've sought to uh, bring it to you is to, to reflect on that and to repent of that callousness uh, and fatigue of uh, compassion, you might say, and uh, asking for the Lord's help to, to help me be more sensitive and more uh, spiritually in tune with the, the state of affairs around us and uh, praying that God would do a work uh, in our day, just like Nehemiah, uh, that, that God did a work in his day. And my guess is I'm not alone in that, uh, that compassion fatigue and also just the, 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 the difficulty that we've been in for so long and continue to be in. It is easy to get so focused on just trying to get uh, through what we're trying to get through that we can lose sight of the eternal reality around us. And so I think this is a good opportunity for us as a church uh, to take a step back and to learn from Nehemiah and to be challenged by his faithful uh, example. Now, there's another principle that emerges from this little verse as well, and that is that Nehemiah shows us what we should do when we get bad news. And the answer is, we should pray. So Nehemiah shows us that we should pray when we get bad news. I found this particularly convicting quote by a man named Leonard Ravenhill on this topic. He said this, he said, Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few lingerers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Now that's a challenging word as well, isn't it? challenging word to us both as a church and as individuals. And if you've been with us uh, for any length of time, you know this, this season of, of reset that we find ourselves, that the Lord has put us in. Uh, it began with prayer and it continues with prayer. Uh, and we need to continue on in that, that as we find ourselves in the continuing midst of this pandemic, uh, we want to continue to go to the Lord, both as a church and as individuals. And so my encouragement uh, to you as your pastor would be, as it has been throughout this, please continue to pray for me, for my uh, continued recovery. Uh, pray also for those around us that are getting sick, some in the church that have gotten sick. Let's continue to pray uh, for one another. Let's also pray for just simply faithful endurance in all of our hearts uh, as we continue through these, these difficult times. Uh, and let's also continue to pray that the Lord uh, continues to use and work in our church. Uh, the season that we find ourselves in, it, it's, it's no different than any other church is facing. Uh, just like we talked about last week, people go out, people have come in, but clearly God is not done with refuge and we are continuing the good gospel work that he has given us together. And that work has been is and will always be fueled by prayer. And so we need to follow Nehemiah's example 
uh, in this way to pray and pray and keep on praying. Now, let me focus the lens just a little bit more here and key in on the, the, the aspect here that, that Nehemiah got bad news and he prayed. That was his first response. But sadly for so many of us, prayer is not our first response. It is our last resort. I remember that uh, growing up. I just remember seeing some show I was watching as a kid, and I remember there was some hospital scene, you know, grandpa's fallen or had a stroke or whatever, and the family all gathers around, and there's a statement. People say, all we can do now is pray. And generally speaking, I know what they mean, but that should not be the response of the Christian. Uh, what we should be about is we should pray at all times. That's what Paul tells us, to pray without ceasing. And we should particularly pray <coughs> excuse me, when we get bad news, because what that does uh, is, is a series of things, actually. Uh, it, it, first and foremost, connects us with God, okay? Now, obviously, God is sovereign over all things. Uh, he is always at work in the good times and the bad, but functionally, as we go through life, we just seem to forget that. And when we pray first instead of last, we are reminding ourselves that whatever has happened, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, that the Lord is with us, that he's for us in Christ, uh, that God is indeed sovereign over this, whatever it is. And if he has allowed this thing to come to pass in our lives, he wants to use it for his glory, for our good, for the strengthening of our faith, for the building up of uh, the church that will step in to, to serve us during whatever season. God is at work in all of these things, and when we pray first, we are reminded of that. It doesn't get God on the scene. It reminds us that God is already on the scene. Now, beyond that, what else does it do? Well, it also reminds us of the spiritual resources and the specific in-the-moment help that is available to us through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I find myself so many times in such a season of such just continual bad news, it seems, just praying little, short, simple, but significant flash prayers. Holy Spirit, help me in this moment. Help me in this time. Give me the words. Give me the wisdom. Give me the faith. Give me the faithfulness to, to continue on in whatever it is that we're, we're dealing with in that moment. And you know what? He's never let me down. He has never failed me, and he won't fail you either, because part of the Holy Spirit's job is to lift up Christians in times of trial. It's to, to set their hearts toward heaven, to remind them of what's really true, to, to call to mind the scriptures that they have stored in their heart before this happened so that they can stand firm in those moments. And therein lies the intersection with the Word of God. And the best way to do this is to build our ark of Scripture before the rain and the floods begin to fall and come upon us. That we want to have uh, particular Scriptures stored in our hearts so that when whatever happens, we can bring them to mind in that moment. For example, if you struggle with anxiety or, or just fear overcomes you, just a very simple phrase from the Psalms like this can be a, such a help to you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. 
And in those moments of terror or anxiety, you can call that scripture to mind and it can be a life preserver for you in the midst of those moments. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you struggle with uh, various other issues. Just simply Google whatever it is that your source, uh, whatever your struggle is, uh, verses on uh, uh, gluttony or verses on uh, drinking too much or verses on uh, uh, saying the wrong things or wh whatever. Whatever your struggle is, when uh, the scriptures speak to those moments and the Holy Spirit will use them in those times of trial to bring forth the word, to bring forth wisdom, and to bring forth the spiritual resources that you need to help you in that very moment. Okay? So, first thing praying does is it reminds us that God is with us. The second thing that praying does, it reminds us of the indwelling power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. A third practical thing that it can help us do is it can give us perspective on the exact nature of what's going on. Okay? Back to Nehemiah's example here. The, the mess that his people were in it was a 10 out of 10 on the scale. But many of the things that we face, they're just not. And sometimes we can experience things at a 7, 8, 9 that are really more like a 2, 3, 4. And just taking that moment to pause and to pray allows the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring clarity and perspective and wisdom to us to be able to say, you know what, this is a concern but it's not a calamity. And Lord, give me wisdom to respond appropriately, accordingly, uh, to act like Jesus in this moment, and he will help us. So let me ask you a question. The question would be this. When the bad news comes to you, what is your typical response? Is prayer your first response, or is it more of a last resort? My hope is today that this will help move us away from the last resort kind of thinking into the first response. That's what Nehemiah did. That's what Nehemiah shows us. And that's how Nehemiah can help us right here in verse 4. But there's more to say. Because the next section of text, going from 5 all the way down to verse 11 basically details the content of Nehemiah's prayer. And that leads us to our third and final point today, that Nehemiah gives us a wonderful pattern for our prayers. Let's take a look at it together. He says, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Okay? So, each word and phrase here in this passage is just pregnant with meaning. Let's, let's move through it slowly. O Lord God of heaven. Okay, so he is speaking in high, exalted, God is strong and powerful kind of language. He is not approaching God as if Jesus is his homeboy or he's just the big guy in the sky. Those cultural monikers do not capture the way the God of the Bible describes himself. And if we approach God like that, well, friends, surely we're going to be on the wrong path. We're going to be approaching God more like Santa Claus than the God of the Bible as he describes himself. He is high. 
He is exalted. He is sovereign over all things. Nehemiah knew that. And that's why he begins with, O Lord God of heaven. <clears throat> but that's not all. Look at the next phrase. He says, The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So not only does he use those first couple of phrases, then he says, The great and awesome God who keeps covenant. <clears throat> and what he's talking about here is the covenantal statement where he said to the children of Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. Basically, a covenant is like, uh, it's, it's like a contract, but it's much more spiritual than that. It's a, it's a promise. Uh, and God takes this responsibility on himself. And the language that he uses here, steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, that is his uh, hesed love that is spoken about so uh, frequently and eloquently uh, throughout the Old Testament. And the best way I've ever heard to describe this actually came uh, through a children's Bible, uh, one that, that we've used uh, significantly within this ministry uh, and one that many of you have. It's the, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, she, the author of that describes this Hesed covenant love as God's never stopping, never giving up love. His never stopping, never giving up love. So this great and awesome God that is above all things is in this covenant relationship with his people and he's never going to give up on them. Now that kind of foundation is a foundation on which you can build your prayers, isn't it? That kind of foundation, goodness, if you know God in that way like Nehemiah did, why in the world would you turn anywhere else when you get bad news? Why would you turn anywhere else when you get good news? Because this is the God of the Bible, the God of the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and he never gives up on his people. And friends, through where we are now in redemptive history, that flower has continued to unfold and we have a personal relationship with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we know the intimacy of that new covenant. We know the joy of that new covenant. So it is our privilege and it is our power to go to the God of the Bible when we get bad news, when we get good news, when we get any news in between, and to pour out our hearts just like Nehemiah did. Not to a divine Santa Claus, but to the great and divine helper. Not to a mythical fable that can't help us, but to the only true God that offers true and lasting help. So the question I think we need to ask ourselves here is, is this where our prayers begin? Or do we simply run in and we say, okay, God, here's what I need, and amen, I'm out. No, friends, we gotta start with reminding ourselves who God is with the greatness of his power and his glory, the, the intimacy that is now ours in Christ. It will remind us to lift our eyes to the hills, to where our help comes from, and it will remind us to begin our prayers with worship and adoration and thanksgiving to this great and awesome God. Now, let's look at verse six. It also says this, let your ear be attentive 
and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. So when you see God the right way, you also see yourself the right way. You see that he is high and lifted up and we are but his servants. This is so contrary to how so many people pray today where it's almost like they are trying to boss God around. No way. Nehemiah understood God's economy, the, the, the way that, that things are arranged in the universe. Nehemiah understood. And out of that understanding, what does he say next? He says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Now, a couple things to notice there. If our prayers should begin with the right view of God and worship, they should also include confession of our sin. And notice that Nehemiah is appropriately specific here. Now, he doesn't get into every single thing that all the people have done wrong. That would have been impossible. But he also wasn't so vague that it was unhelpful. He struck the, uh, he, he struck the appropriate balance there. And I think, generally speaking, we should do the same. Now, I understand there are certain times, I just told you about some of the ones in my life, where we do pray these flash prayers, Lord, help me in this moment. But generally speaking, worship should be a part of how we pray. Confession should be a part of how we pray. And the fact that Nehemiah knew this, I think, is very significant. It shows where his heart was with God. And one of the things that I've told you before that I learned from uh, someone along the way named D.L. Moody, he said this, we should always seek to keep short accounts with God. And what I think he means by that is we don't, go three weeks between our times of confession. And the way I try to handle this when I sin, which is more frequently than I wish it were, is I just confess it immediately. Lord, forgive me for saying that or doing that or responding in that way. Uh, and then as appropriate, make that right with whoever I sinned against. That we want to keep short accounts with God, and I would say beyond that, even short accounts with other people. It just helps keep the the intimacy flowing between us and our Heavenly Father, and it keeps our relationships from being jacked up as well. And so we need to follow in Nehemiah's footsteps, confess our sins to God uh, with appropriate clarity and specificity, and only good will come from that. So let me ask you a question. Does that characterize the, the, the pattern of your prayers? Or again, is it always, God, here's what I need, I'm out, thanks. No, we need to be, ex one way to think of it, exhaling our sin and breathing in the grace of God, reminding ourselves of the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Now look at verse 8. It says here, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Now pay attention to what Nehemiah does here. Saying, if you were unfaithful, <coughs> I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen and make my name dwell there. So functionally, what he's doing is he's reminding God of his word. Okay, now he's, uh, I have seen a few people in my life do this wrong. 
uh, where it's almost, uh, this is sometimes common in the, what you might call the, the health and wealth movement or the, the word faith movement, where the people basically misuse the Bible to try to say, God, you said this. Now, uh, there's not supposed to be any sickness, so heal these people. And it, and it puts the situation with God, not that we treat him as a Santa Claus, but basically he is our errand boy. And it is a misuse of scripture to try to, to, to force God into a corner. Uh, and and it's, that, that's just not how the scriptures are to be used. But that's not what Nehemiah is doing here. He is using scripture rightly. He is uh, praying God's word back to him. He is reminding God of his covenant promises, which clearly God is for. Uh, the way I would, I would liken this, this is just an illustration, so it's only good to a point, but it's almost as if one of your, you and one of your children plan to do something uh, at some point and you, you get into something and the child comes along and they say, but dad, you said, and they remind you of what you said. And, and you can say to yourself, you know what? I did say that. We do need to do this. Now, again, that's just an illustration. It's not a one, but, but there's that, that goodness, that, that kindness between a father and a son to be reminded of uh, a pre previous agreement. And I think to a degree, that's part of what is in view here. And so functionally for us, this shakes out to using the scriptures when we pray. And that is a good part of how we need to pray. And, and quite simply, the best way to do this, honestly, there's plenty of scriptures you could use to do this. You could even use this passage, quite frankly. Uh, but just find some psalms. Uh, and the psalms are like a medicine cabinet. They, they're good for what ails you. If you're happy, there's psalms of praise. If you're despondent, there's psalms of uh, despondency. Uh, if you're somewhere in between, some psalms capture both if they're long enough. Uh, just if you don't know what to pray or how to pray, just read through the Psalms and say, Lord, use this in my heart, in my life, and I guarantee you that he will. And so Nehemiah, again, lays out another good example for us of how to use the Word of God when we pray. So let's ask this question. Are the Scriptures part of your pattern of prayer? Are the Scriptures part of your pattern of prayer? If they are, keep on keeping on. And if they aren't, then friend, my encouragement to you would be that you just start today and start simply and just start with the Psalms. And the Lord will help you. He will refresh you. He will strengthen you. He will remind you that you are not alone. You're not the first person to have felt the way that you feel. And he will help you through his word. Now, let's wrap it up here in verses 10 and 11. He's talking about the people, and he says, They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. So again, the recitation of uh, covenant promises and covenant activity, and God has is, is delivered these folks. And, and then it's, it's almost like a bridge here from 10 to 11. Because that's true, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. <clears throat> so what he's praying for here is that he knows he's going to be talking to the king before too long. We'll see that in the weeks to come. And he is basically just saying, Lord, because of all your covenant faithfulness and all the good things you've done for your people, help me as I step up 
to talk to this guy. And so what I love that Nehemiah shows us here is that he's very specific about what he needs. Now, I'm all for praying general prayers, but I'm even more for praying specific prayers. And I remember time after time, uh, as we were moving here to begin this church, uh, we had some very specific needs uh, pop up in our lives. Uh, one of which, in order to, to, to get uh, a loan to be able to buy the house that we moved in here when we got here, uh, like it was like a very, we need this specific amount of money, like down to the penny. And you know what? We prayed and prayed and prayed as a family. And guess what? God provided that exact amount of money through some just supernatural circumstances. It was truly incredible. And I think that God rejoices in doing those kinds of things because as we pray here all the time, we want to see what only God can do. And I'm telling you, we prayed for something specific and something specific happened. Only God could have done that. Only God could have done it. And so he glorifies himself through answering this specific prayer. And then here we sit, uh, that would have been, I think, six years ago, because we moved here a little bit, spent a little bit of time with Emmanuel before the church got, got going, going, so to speak. Uh, and here I'm telling you the story, some six years later. And so let's pray specifically for the things that we need. Uh, and there have been plenty of things over the years as a church that we've prayed for together, and the Lord has provided in that season what we need. So as individuals and as a church, let's continue to pray in all the ways that Nehemiah has taught us, beginning with adoration and worship, reminding or remembering who God is, confessing our sins, using Scripture, and also asking specifically for that which we need. Now there's one more little piece of text here. And then I want to uh, talk about how this gets us to Jesus. Last phrase that we need to look at here, he says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. And this is interesting because if you're just showing up, you're like, uh, okay, so there's all this stuff about God and this is kind of random statement here at the end. Well, remember what we learned last week, uh, the, the first few chapters in particular, these are like journal entries for Nehemiah. And that's basically how all of our journals are, right? We, we, we be real focused and talking about things, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, and then you say something, you know. Uh, Nehemiah, I think, is a little bit more sophisticated than that because he's pointing out where God has strategically placed him, and he's just, just biographically, autobiographically writing about where he was at. Uh, and the fact that he was a cupbearer to the king, we talked about last week, it's kind of like a <laughs> worst job in the world kind of thing because it was his job to taste the king's wine or food uh, to make sure it wasn't poisoned and then give it to the king. But it was also a very strategic position uh, because it also indicated it's possible that he would have been uh, well-trained in court etiquette. Uh, it's also possible he would have been in charge of keeping the king's signet ring that uh, he would, you know, stamp and say this is an official communique going out. It was a high trust position. And it was the fact that he was in this highly trusted uh, role that allowed him to be able to ask for the things that he's going to ask for that are going to be needed to rebuild this wall. So God strategically and sovereignly put Nehemiah where he needed to be to do what he would call them to do. So that's almost a foreshadowing point for that which is to come next week and the weeks beyond. So I will look forward to talking more about that 
and its significance. But the only point I want to make to you before it gets away to, from us today is you may feel like you're just out there wondering, not no purpose right now in your life. Friend, God can do and will do a work in your life right where you are. Right where you are. And you're not there by any accident, and you just need to be open and available to what the Lord might want to do. Because if he can use this cupbearer, this ordinary man to do an extraordinary thing, he can surely use you no matter where you find yourself. And you know how I know that is because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And see, as we're going through this book and we're talking about all the greatness of Nehemiah, it points us truly to the greatness of Jesus. And I think there's a, a few different paths to Calvary in this passage. I, I think about first the, the first point, the fact that Nehemiah's heart was broken over his own city. Friends, that reminds me so much of the time that Jesus sat uh, on the side of the hill and he wept over Jerusalem. It says, Would you that you had known this day the things that you would make for peace, but now they are hidden before your eyes. And he's sitting on the hillside weeping over his own city of Jerusalem. That's so much like Nehemiah. And it also reminds me furthermore of the time that he, uh, uh, in regard to the second point, that when we encounter bad news, we should pray. It, that's very similar to what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Many of you are familiar with that story. That he comes and he tells his disciples, hey, sit here. I need to go over here and pray. And he goes and he pours out his heart to God. You may recall this is where his sweat become his uh, became his drops of blood. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will as well. So just like Nehemiah, Jesus responds in great compassion to the need of his people. And he goes to the Father with those needs. And so, friends, Nehemiah is a hero for us, but Jesus is the ultimate hero for us. And just like Nehemiah stepped in and he was faithful uh, to, to, for God to, to do the work to rebuild the wall, to help them in the plight that they were in, Jesus was ultimately faithful to step in and to deal with the ultimate spiritual plight. Because the greatest tragedy and the greatest need was not simply that the wall was broken down. The greatest tragedy for us is that our very souls were broken down. And just like Nehemiah responded with compassion and prayer, Jesus responded with compassion and prayer, and ultimately laid down his very life so that we might take up life in friendship with God. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitute's death. He gloriously rose again, and now he will save anyone from anywhere if they will turn from their sins and they will trust in Christ. And friend, if you hear that today and that strikes a chord with you, and you say, I need to believe this. I need to be saved. Then my response to you would be that you need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to believe in the gospel of Jesus. And you need to confess your sins and commit your life to Christ. To turn from leading your own life to letting Jesus be in charge. 
And then if you're watching this online, send us an email, refugefranklin at gmail.com. We want to help you on your spiritual journey any way that we can. And we want to support you as you take that important step. Now, for those who've already taken that step, I want you to be moved by the compassion and the prayer of Jesus today. Did you know that he's interceding for us right now? That his Holy Spirit in this very moment is writing and applying this truth to our hearts even as we speak. And in this season where so many of us feel like such a mess in so many ways, I want you to be reminded of his compassion, of his prayer for you, of his intercession for you. And I would ask you this, where do you most need his help today? Is it in regard to what we've talked about? Or is it in something else? Friends, whatever it is, this is our time to go before the Lord together. Right now, in this moment. So let's pray and let's ask for what only God can do. Let's pray. Lord, we know that when we open your word and it goes out, it will not return void. So we pray and ask right now that you would remind us of your compassion and your intercession for us. Lord, that we would feel it, that we would know it, that we would bring our hurt and our concerns to you right now in this moment. Lord, for those who feel weighed down, I pray that they would cast their cares upon you because you care for them. Lord, for those who need to be saved, I pray that they would be. Lord, for whatever needs this text has bubbled up to the surface, I pray that you would minister to them as only you can. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.